This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome everybody to our Gorski Tuesday night, late night show, if you could call it that. Well, and welcome also all our Torah Anytime viewers. Okay, so tonight we're going to speak about something very important. Somebody who has been with you since the moment you are born and staying with you until the moment you die. Somebody that's non-stop going to try to bring you down. Somebody who will never give up, no matter how much you fight against it. Uh, do you guys know who I'm talking about? Yes. The one and only. Anybody? No? Trump, someone wants to bring you down. Somebody else. Who wants to bring you down? Who wants to bring you down? The, the, yeah, very good. The Satan. The Satan. Tonight's topic is the Satan. Get to the, you know, it says keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Right? It, over, if you just hear that, that sounds very idiotic. Like, no. That's not smart. That's stupid. You keep your enemies far. You keep your friends close. But what do they mean by when they say keep your enemies close? It means get to know your enemies. Get to know. If you're at war, or if you want to be, you want to beat the other person, you don't necessarily have to be stronger. You have to be smarter. If you're, if you're able to, and how do you become smarter? You get to know their tactics. Get to know what they, how they think, how they behave, how they act. And by doing that, you might be able to overcome them. So I think it's very important to get to know our biggest enemy, which is the Satan. Right? Not the, not the Arabs. Not the, not the, not the, not ISIS, but the Satan. What? God created the Satan. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, we're gonna see, there's actually, there's a Gemara in Baba Batra, page 16, that says like this. It says, uh, people don't usually put this together. There's three things. There is the evil inclination. There is, which is the Yetzirah. Then there's the Satan. Then there is the, the angel of death. What people don't know is that all the same. It's all the same. The way that it starts is, it's first to start off an evil inclination. It's like, hey, psst, you know, do this sin. And you're like, okay, fine. They're you know. angels. It's an angel. One angel. It's one angel. So, you're going in there and you're like, okay, you do this in. Then this, then it's going to take off that hat, the, the evil inclination hat. It's going to put on the hat of the Satan. And it's going to fly up, go to heaven and start prosecuting. Hey, check out your boy over here. You know, look at him. Look at him. Look at what he's doing. And then after he prosecutes you, he's going to get permission to eventually to kill you. And then he turns puts on the hat of the angel of death, the malachim And so it's really all of the same. So it pays. It pays. Uh, you know, it, it's very important to get to know who he is, what he does, how he thinks, and how to beat him. So that will be Hashem be the plan for tonight. Now there's a gemara. There's a few interesting gemara which I want to. I want to uh, let you guys know. We'll put up sort of like a you know a nice mix and then try to gain clarity of it. There's a gemara in Kiddushim, page thirty B, that says. The Satan is so bad that even God calls him bad. And this, you know, should really make you wonder. Be like, why does God call the Satan bad? This, the, you know, he's doing a job. And he's doing a mighty fine job at it. You know, he's, he's doing an excellent job. So why does God call him bad? He's just doing his, his job. There's another Gemara in Eovin, in page 19.8, that says something very, very hard to believe. It says, the wicked people in the gates of hell. So they're literally standing in the gates of hell. They're not going to do any repentance. They're literally standing over there. And this begs you the question, like, how is that possible? You're in the next world. You're not even in this world anymore. You're dead. You're in the next world. You're standing in the gates of hell. And they're still not going to do any repentance. Not that it's going to help at that point. But even if they could, they wouldn't do it. And the obvious question is, why not? What do you mean? You're in the world of truth. There's no, like, there's no evil inclination anymore. So why wouldn't they do any repentance? And next is a Gemara in page 91a, that says... How do you think the Satan looks? Now, I'm not going to go into his actual, how he, you know, physical looks, but he comes at in two different uh, appearances. Number one, he could either look like a wicked person. Number two, he could either look like a righteous, a big tamit a big tzaddik. And that's like, okay, first of all, tell me, either one or the other. And then second of all, it's like, what does that mean? How does he come to look? He's a Satan, right? How does he come and he looks to you like a righteous person? There's also something, there's a Gemara, there's when Mashiach comes, um, it says that the Gemara in Sukkah, I think it's page 52, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, 52a, that says when Mashiach comes, 
the God is going to take the Satan and it's going to slaughter him, shechtim, slaughter him. And the, I don't know exactly what, which, at which point of it, once Mashiach comes. So, the, it's also, we, we have to figure out what that means. And the last Gemara that I want to present is a Gemara in Shabbat, page 75. That speaks about, it says, you know, you're not allowed to slaughter on Shabbat. Now, why can't you slaughter on Shabbat? So, Rebbe says, one of the people, one of the rabbis say, the reason why you can't slaughter on Shabbat is because you're going to dye the, the surrounding area. For example, the, it's called Mishum Tzovah. Your, 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 the blood is going to come out, and you're going to have, you're going to have, like, white, whatever it is, any, any colored uh, garment around is going to dye it to be red. Anyway. Yeah. And, well, let's say that's a problem, right. Question? I heard when Mashiach comes, the Satan will still be there, but like it won't have anything. Uh, no, one of one. No, the Gemara says straight out this. So, well, we're talking about after it gets slaughtered. Why the the question is also how much free will we'll have. It, this it's a in you know because if he's not here, it's a whole topic in itself. And, and when Mashiach, oh, it's a topic of Mashiach. This other thing we'll do uh, hopefully sometime soon. So now there is. Um, so, so there's, uh, the, the Baal Shem Tov explains like this. It says, you know what, what, who we're talking about when it says when we're slaughtering in the Gemara and Shabbat. It says we're talking about slaughtering of the Satan. And you know why we slaughter him? What do you slaughter him? He's doing his job. What, what, what's his problem? And it says, you know why you slaughter him? Because of the dying. Mishum Tovah. Because he's dying. You know what, what does he die? The Satan does, a, he's supposed, to, his job was go to a person and make the person sin. End of job, period. Now he went and he's, that was all God wanted him to do. He went and he rebelled against God. And he went, and he said, no, 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 not only am I going to make the person sin, he took it a step further. He says, I'm going to make the person sin and think that he's doing a righteous, uh, a righteous act, which is he's going to die. He's going to color the sin that he did. And this, by the way, happens so many times that the people are actually doing something wrong, but in their mind, they're, they're justifying it. They're rationalizing it. That's the Satan. The Satan's tactic is making you sin and thinking that you're doing, you're doing a, uh, you know, you're doing a mitzvah. Yeah, but he's testing you in a, in a, in a, in a one step more than he needs to, and he should have. Why now, ah, so that's a. But you don't know it's a sin, so you get the sin. It's bishogeg. It's a, it's an unintentional sin. <laughs> it's uh, everything's machokas. It's no, it's unintentional. But the problem, question is, why do you know that? Why don't you know that it's that it's wrong? Some people don't know because they they're not interested in learning. So whose fault is it that they don't know? It's like somebody who comes, you know, to a new country and he drives a car, and they say, you know, there's certain laws over here. I didn't know. The guy's gonna still get a ticket, you know, regardless of whether he knows or not. Maybe, okay, you know, he's not in defiance of the government or whatever it is, but he's still gonna get a, a ticket. So you, st- it's still, it's still a problem. It's obviously not as much as a high problem as if you know and if you didn't do it. But then again, it also comes into play as why don't you know? Why didn't you go and study? You have to know the laws of the law, know the laws of the land. Also know the laws of your soul. So now there is, um, so now, you know, what we said, what we said before, we said, um, you know, how, how does the Satan look? Satan looks sometimes like a righteous person, sometimes like a wicked person. He says, you know why? A wicked person I understand, but you know how he looks like a righteous person? Because he makes you sin. And not only does he make you sin, he convinces you that you didn't even sin. You did a good thing. So you, you did a mitzvah. So you're, he's sitting over there, and that's why he looks like, he looks at that, in that, in that double standard. Then we said also, the God calls the Satan bad. You know why God calls the Satan bad? Because God said, I didn't create you to, to make people sin and make them think that they did a mitzvah. I created you to make them sin and think that they, they make the sin. What, what happens if somebody sins and he doesn't think that he did anything wrong? He's never going to do any tshuva. He's not going to repent. You know what? I think it's one of the 12 steps in alcoholic, uh, in AA. Is one of the first things, one of the first things they need to admit. You need to admit you do. And in fact, they keep on admitting it nonstop. Is that they, how do they admit it? They admit it by, by, I'll put it on this side. They admit it by, uh, um, 
hi, my name is this, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name is this, I'm a drug addict. Hi, my name is this, I'm a... They admit it all the time. If you're not going to admit that you do something wrong, you will never change. So it's a very big... You know, when the Satan does this, and he convinces you that you're not even doing a sin, then you're in a situation that you're never, you're never gonna repent. He got, he got you so good that, that there's no, there's, there's, it's a point of no return. That you'll never, you never actually change. This is what we said. This is what we said that, you know, the wicked people, we said the wicked people in the steps of hell, they're right in the gate of hell, they're not gonna do repentance. You know why they're not gonna do repentance? Because they don't think that they're wicked people. They think that it's gonna, it's like a whole test. And God, at that, no, it doesn't, I'm saying, but still, it had, only when you're alive. But at the, at they're, they're not going to repent because they don't think that they're wicked. They think that God's going to like jump out out of nowhere and be like, ah, <laughs> you thought, ah, gotcha, come upstairs, man. Oh, come on, I'll show you. Oh, is it camera there, camera there, camera there, camera there. Ah. You know, they think it's a prank. They think that they're, because I'm not wicked. I was a righteous person my whole life. And that's such a shame that people live their life thinking that they're good and meanwhile they're so deep. They're so deep inside and they don't even know it. So this, is why the Satan is considered so bad. There's another interesting Maram, um, that says in Kiddushin, in page 30b, it says like this, it says, you know, Barati Yetzara, Barati Torah Tavlin. God created the evil inclination, but at the same time, He created the Torah to combat the evil inclination. So you have an evil inclination, how are you gonna fight it? You have the Torah to fight it. The Torah is going to help you fight the evil inclination. Now, what happens if, uh, you know, the, actually, no, let's, let's go one step further. The Gemara continues and says something very contradictory. And says, you know, there's an evil inclination and nobody's going to be able to withstand it unless God helps the person withstand the, the evil inclination. So the obvious question is, what do you mean? So you just told me, what do you mean we need all of a sudden all this God's help? You just told me that we have the Torah. Let's do it. We have the Torah. So that's how we're going to overcome it. Why do we now we say afterwards that no, we need, we need to have uh, uh, God's help. And the answer is, there's two different Yetzirah, the two different Satans. The one that God originally created, which was what? Which was to make you sin and know that you're sinning. You know how you're going to protect yourself with that? That's what you have, the, the, the Yetzirah. That's what you have, I'm sorry, the Torah. You have the Torah. But then when the Yetzirah is going to come and he's going to start tricking you, thinking that you did something, thinking that you did something right and really you did something wrong, that you need God's help. Because that's already one step above it. So now, this is, this is also how, how you explain the Misilat Yisharim, the path of the just, where we're giving a lot of information, but we're going to expand on this also. So give me a few more minutes to just put the, plant this information in you, and then we're going to expand it to make it more, more sense of it. Is the person we can connect to the Shabbos? Absolutely. I think the only way of being the is not guided. You have that step, that's, a, yeah, that's one of the top steps. You have to, yeah. So now the, the Misilat Yisharim in the third chapter says, this world is compared, as compared to, to like nighttime. What's nighttime? You're walking in the street. And let's say there's no lamps like every, every here. You're walking here, over here in the street. It's like daytime. But let's say it's in a place that there's not a lot of light. So your, your vision is distorted. It's, you know, your visibility is decreased. So you're going and you're walking in the night and you see something in the distance. Now, either, you know, it's, it could be a bush being, you know, flapping in the wind. It could be a hooded guy, you know, waiting there with a dagger and a samurai sword to, rub, you know, to like mug you. You don't know what it is. Your, your vision is very distorted. So with the, but what the way that the night distorts your vision is in two options. Either one is it doesn't make you see clearly. Or number two, it makes you see something that's not there. Or it doesn't make you see something that is there. So now this is the way the Satan works. This, this is what it says that this world is works, works is like nighttime. Because the Satan, he either distorts your vision. That you're not really sure. Is this wrong? Is this right? And you go and you could, and you could fall and you could stumble and you could sin. Or he can make you see something that's not really there or see something that really is not there. That's in the fact of doing a sin and thinking that it's mitzvah. Or doing, or, or doing, uh, you know, or, or not, you know, or, or switching it the other way around as well. That's how this world is, consi- is considered to, to a nighttime. So now, you have yes. So Satan can make you do a mitzvah and think it's a sin? Yeah. No, oh, no, usually it's not, he's not going to go around that way. 
But uh, yeah, so you're right. It will be just. Uh, it would be just. Just uh, yeah, yeah. You're right. He'll be just. He'll be just making you doing a sin and thinking that it's a mitzvah. Because he. Did, what does he gain the other way around? Yeah, yeah. You're right. Thank you. Okay. So now. So, the now you, now let me let me present you some other good piece of information. Let's say you're going and you have a battle. Okay, should I go to learn to walk tonight, or should I go to you know whatever? Uh, I'm going to go clubbing tonight. And you're like, it's a really big, you know, you know, you have one thing, you have mitzvah. One thing, you have a sin, and you said, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to learn tonight. And you go and you sit and learn tonight. So you won the battle. You won. The, the, you had a you had right now a war with the evil inclination. What? Every the, the, if you don't keep Shabbos, doesn't mean that you can't do anything else. Granted, you have a big situation that on your on your on your shoulders that you have to need to keep Shabbos because it's the foundation of Judaism. But it doesn't mean that you know if you're not keeping Shabbos, might as well not do anything else. Obviously, you have to you have to do do as much as you can. And Shabbat is very important. It has to be one of the top things that one has to one has to do. But uh, uh, especially when they're when they're coming more religious. Um, and to be honest, even if you're not religious, it doesn't matter. The <laughs> whole Jews, we all have the responsibility of keeping Shabbat. But uh, um, it says over here. So you, let's say you, you're in this battle and you won it. You won it. You're in the Shiur Torah. You're coming. You're here right now. Now, uh, you think, okay, you won. The Satan, you know, that's it. The game over. It doesn't work that way. The Satan doesn't give up on you so easily. Level two. Yeah, it's going hard, yeah. Well, how does it, but what could the Satan do already? You're here. How could he go and he can, and you left the, the Shiro Torah. You're going at home. You're sitting in bed right before you go to sleep. He is still going to try to get you. And how is he going to get you? It's unbelievable. You know how Chuvah works? Chuvah works. You do, you do a sin, and then you go and you go through the process. You regret it. You confess it, and you, you do stop doing it. And then what happens? It gets erased. Now what happens if you do a mitzvah and you regret it? it part of it gets, it works the same way. So, how do you regret a mitzvah? Uh, I'll give you an example. Somebody goes and he's going to a, uh, you know, he invites a bunch of people. He's going to have a guest lecture speak in his house. He's a big tzaddik. He's at, but one thing, he is so stingy. He has a lot of money. A lot, a lot of money, but he's very, very stingy. And meanwhile, this, this lecture, this guy is, is lecturing, he's giving a shul toah. And he finishes Shul Torah, and then he finishes, he's good, you know, he threw in some fundraising, and he put in a very a great sob story. And all his friends are a lot of very wealthy people, and they really were touched by it. Then one friend picks up his hand, three grand I'm donating. The other guy says, here's that, he says, four grand. You know how, you know, they're all five grand. You know, this guy, everyone's donating thousands of thousands of dollars. And meanwhile, everyone's donating except for him, because he's stingy, he doesn't want to take money out of his pocket. But he looks at all his friends, like, oh, it's terrible. So you know, six grand on me, right? He feels good for a second. He writes the check, everyone looks at him, writes the check, he smiles. The second everybody leaves his, his, uh, you know, his house, he's like, he goes to his wife, he's like, oh my god, what did I just do? You know, six grand I gave to this guy, are you kidding me? What I, you know, and he starts shaking, he's palpitating, he's like, I can't buy, I never give so much money in charity in my life. You know, and he's like, what, I'm such an idiot, why did I do that? I should have taken, should I, should I go and bounce, should I, should I go and, you know, what? he's like, thinking of all things to do. He regrets it so badly, he wished it wouldn't have happened. That guy, even though he, he gets certain reward because the money came out of it, but he loses a part of his reward. A part of his reward gets lost. It's like if you study Torah your whole life and then you say... You regret it. Yeah, you regret it. Yeah, you lose. You lose. It's going to be a better thing to do. It's a good choice. So not donate that much. It's just like, you know, how to take a... To donate... The, the code, yeah, the, or, <laughs> no, because you know that you're not going to... Because you know that might happen to you. Right. <laughs> I would still say to donate... Donate the, to donate the whole thing and try your best not to, you know? Second one. Yeah. One I think so. So now the, so this is how the Satan gets you. He goes, and you do the mitzvah already, but then he's gonna go and he's gonna try to make you regret it. Be like, oh come on, why did I go to class so late? Did this, I finish that? Huh? <laughs> you never know, it comes, it comes when you don't even expect it. He's gonna go and he's gonna try to regret you. That's why when we, in the Aravit prayer, right, in the Aravit prayer, we, so what do we pray? We pray, remove the Satan, 
from the front of us and behind us. What does that mean? In front of us, I understand. Don't make this. What's behind us? Why are we removing this? Because we're asking to God remove it, also that we don't regret any of the past good things that we did, so we can lose that. So the Satan does not give up. It does not give up. It stays strong. It stays strong, and it's and it's and it, and it plays hard. So now that we have a little bit of of uh, foundation, let us try to explain uh, the first thing that ever happened, right? When, when he made his, uh, you know, his entrance, the Satan, into the world. Right? The first sin was, was Adam and Eve. Right? So how did that sin go? You ever think about it? That's a really crazy, that's a really crazy thing to think about it. How is it possible that you have Adam? God created Adam. No parents. Just uh, God went and formed, liter- formed Adam. And he created him. And God, he spoke to him. And he tells Adam, he says, listen. He says, everything... You can do whatever you want. Eat from every single tree and whatever you want. Any fruit, any vegetable, yours. Except for one. You see that one tree over there? Don't eat it. And he then God goes and he creates Chava. And out of all things, it says in the Midrash, an hour goes by and he eats from the tree. Now the obvious question is, how is that possible? What what went through? How did that happen? Yeah, curiosity is actually one of the reasons that, yeah, well, well I won't be able to speak about the time, but it's true. There is a, there is a big... More than we were supposed to. Yeah. So, so like, rabbi, like rabbis do. <laughs> rabbis don't add or subtract from the Torah. They're not allowed to. He told, he told Chava. Don't touch it. Yeah. The, so, so the, let's let let me let me take it from a different they perspective. Were out from the Garden of Eden on the first day, right? No, after Shabbat. So they stayed further because they were created on Friday. They were kicked out after Shabbat. So um, the there's so there's something. So this is how the the Mechtam Eliyahu of Desler explained this because. If you understand this story in the in the Torah, the beginning of the Torah, it's very you can't understand it in a very you know just like reading a text. You have to really there's a lot of depth going on. There's depth in the whole Torah, but that in the beginning, it's there's a lot of stuff going on in there. So he explains as follows: He says, "Where was the, the?" It says, and this is a very common knowledge for for you know people growing up in Yeshivot. You you learned that before the sin of the of the Esodas, before the sin of the thing, where was this, where was the evil inclination? It was outside of you. After the tree, it became inside of you. Now that's all nice and dandy, but what does that mean? What does that mean outside of me? And Rav Dasar explains it uh, very, very clearly. He says, before the sin of the tree, how did the Satan get you? The Satan would come and be like, hey buddy, listen, you gotta do this. You gotta do this sin, and it was always you. As he was coming from a third party, he was coming to you and saying, hey listen, you gotta do it. After the sin of the tree, he, he was internalized. Instead of went from you, it says, I need to do this. I need to eat from the tree. I need to do this sin. That is a lot harder to deal with. If somebody else saying, you need to do it, it's very hard to be like, yo dude, I don't need to do it. You know, stand back. But if you tell yourself, I need to do it, that's like, alright, maybe I do need to do it. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're putting yourself in a much harder situation. So what did, what, what was Adam, what was Adam, uh, thinking? Adam, he was saying like this. He says, God doesn't want me to eat from the tree. Granted, okay, if I don't eat from the tree, then I'll be, you know, I'll pass my test and I'll be that. Then he's saying, but what about, what about if I do something else? He was thinking like this. He says, every mitzvah you should know, every mitzvah that you do, you are creating a Kiddush Hashem. You're sanctifying God's name. Every sin that you're doing, you're desecrating God's name. Right? And regardless of, obviously, there's, there's a lot of different variations of it. So now, when, when Adam was thinking, and, and, you know, by the way, this reminds me that, um, you know, somebody told me that he did this, and he asked me if it was right, and I think it was. And he said, like, one time he said somebody dropped a wallet in front of him. So he ran. He wasn't wearing a kippah. So he, he saw the wallet. He took out a kippah out of his, out of his pocket, put it on his, on his head, ran to the wallet, picked it up, and went and returned it to the owner. Now, why did he put the, and he kept on doing this, he kept on playing with the kippah, so the guy knows that he's Jewish, and knows that he's doing it because he's Jewish, to, well, 
So it's a, but yeah, but I'm saying, it, granted, yeah, he says, okay, it's a good idea. It's, it's, why is it a good idea? Granted that now that you see everybody, you know, that people are watching and then you all of a sudden you put on the kippah to go on and return something, might be a little bit, uh, you know, interesting, might bring up some questions. But let's say, no, well, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a very big mitzvah. So you're, that, that you need to keep always. But I'm saying this one, the reason that he put it on, he said, because now he's making Kiddush Hashem. They see, oh, look, look at the Jews. You know, they're not money hungry. They don't like to smell money all the time. I have a story. A rabbi from Israel told us a story one time. In Mexico, there was this one guy, he got, his car got stuck. So he put on a kippah on his head. <laughs> and people stopped by. So the Jews stopped by. And then he said he wasn't Jewish. His mom told him whatever he needed to <laughs> Put it on. Right. So, um, but the idea is, first of all, it, you know, this is, this is important because, um, you know, I'll tell you a story that happened to me uh, last week. Last week, so it was Sukkot. And it was Shminiyat's house, and I was going to, um, I was going to pray, uh, Mincha in the synagogue. And as I'm walking to pray, I was passing by this construction site, so they had the scaffolding there. And I see, you know, in the distance, I see a guy who is, you know, there's like a bar in this, you know, the bars on the sky. He was literally like hanging over by his stomach. Like his hands were like, you know, like dead weight. And I'm looking at this in the future, right? And I'm in the future. I'm, so I'm looking in the distance. And, uh, I don't see the future. So, um, he goes, and, and I'm looking. And I see people are walking forward and back, right? So what does a good New Yorker do when he sees somebody like about to die on the street? They walk across the street and make believe they don't see him. Or they walk across the street and then they observe it from the distance. So or they'll, they'll just sit and watch. So I'm sitting over there and I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, all right, you know, let me, let me ask him if he needs any help. So I go over, I tap this guy. I'm like, yo, buddy, are you okay? And in my mind, I'm like, I got two minutes to get to synagogue to be on time. I'm like, please say that I'm okay so I can go and make it on time. I'm like, please, please, come on. It should be okay. It should be okay. And he goes, he's like, he's like, no, I'm not okay. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I'm like, all right. I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> you know, what's going on? So he start. He's like, he's like, please, can you get me home? I need to go home. I please get me home. And I'm like, you know, I I, I can't. You know, I, I wish I could. I, I can get you home. There's no way of me getting you home. And, he, and then he starts begging. He's like, please, I'm begging you, get me home. And I see how is he talking to me all while hanging over. He didn't even look at me. He's all like, he's like. The, he, so I'm like, okay, maybe this guy's on something. I'm like, are, you know, are you okay? You know, and he wouldn't like what? Young yeah, young guy, 28 year old guy. He goes, so then, and then I see him over there, and I'm like, okay, let me, let me get, like, visual on his face. Let me see what, how his uh, facial, you know, expressions are. So I'm like, hey, buddy, can, can you look at me? And the guy was, like, not responsive. So I literally had to be like, hey, buddy, look at me, 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 look at me. Hey, 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 look, you know, until he finally registered. And then he picks up his head, and he looks at me. And his face looked gone. You know, his eyes were, like, half shut, and his, like, you know, like, glazed, and, and things like that. So, so I didn't have a phone. I was, it was, uh, it was, uh, Yom Tov. It was, uh, I didn't have any, I didn't have anything on me. So I go to him, and I'm like, um, I'm like, are you on any drugs? So he's like, no. And I'm like, I didn't believe him. So I started naming all. I was like, cocaine, heroin, does any of these ring a bell? You know, crack, you know, which one? Tell me when to stop. And he's like, he's like, no, no, not any drugs. I'm like, are you on something? Cause he's gotta be on something. And he's like, uh, you know, I drink alcohol. And I'm like, how much? And he's like, a lot. <laughs> and I'm like, what are we talking about up here? One bottle, two bottles, three bottles? And he's like, yes. And, you know, so I'm like, alright, why did I ask him? Is I want to know what the situation was. Cause if you drink, no, if, if you drink so much, it's a, it's a, it's a, it become a, become a life death situation. So, and now this guy was obviously not looking, he was looking closer to death than closer to, to alive. And, um, so I'm like, can you call somebody to come and pick you up and help you? And every question I have to ask like four times until he actually registers it. So he's like, he's like, no, I'm like, family, friends, you know, relatives, somebody. He's like, I got no one. So, and then he starts, he's like, please, please, I, please bring me home. And I, I keep on trying, I tell him, I can't, I can't bring you home. So, he lived, uh, like, Newkirk Avenue or something like that. And this was in, like, uh, near Avenue M. Huh? 
Yeah, Puerto Rican. So um, I got to know him pretty well. You hear the story. I'll see. You see why. So it uh, doesn't matter. So um, so so he goes. He goes and he says um, and he starts. He says, "Listen, I need I need help." So I, I'm like, "Okay." I, I wanted to see if he he wasn't able to walk. He tried to. I tried to get him standing up. He walked. He's straight down on. He, he was just, uh, on the floor. So he's sitting on the floor, and I'm like, and and he's he's you know he's like standing near me, and he's like, "Please get me home." And I keep on having to repeat, "I can't. I, I can't get you home. I would like to." I really would like to get you home, but I can't. There's nothing I can do. And then um, I'm, I'm like, okay, you know, is there is there something? Some. And then I saw somebody passing by, and I was like, saw so they were looking at him. I'm like, do you know this guy? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, can you get him some help or you know something? So he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. And he goes inside his building, never came back. And I was there for a while. He never came out, out again. So, yeah. So he goes, and he, he tells me, he's like, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust these people. And I'm like, I'm like, where did you drink? He's like, oh, I don't trust any of them. You could, you had to be so pretty close in order to, you know, to drink this much and you're over here. And he said, no, I don't trust anybody. He's like, and he kept on begging me, please take me home. So finally I'm like, all right, take out your phone. So he takes his phone. I'm like, okay, dial this number. He takes, he goes to the dial screen. I'm like, nine. He's like, nine. One, 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 one. Press call. I do a quick thing. He's like, he pressed call. I like, put it on speaker. So he, he, you know, you know, the nine one one asked. He's like, you know, nine one one. What's your emergency? So I didn't want to say anything. I want to see if he was able to, you know, communicate. So I don't have to, you know. So he's like, he's like, I want to go home. So they're like, again, they're like, nine one one. What's your emergency? Please take me home. And they, you know, so they're like, uh, sir, this is not a car service. And then, you know, I saw that he was about to hang up. And I was like, no, 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 I, listen, you know, I explained myself, I'm listening, I'm a bystander, and um, this person has been intoxicated, I don't know if he's on anything else, he denies anything else, but he's, uh, he, you know, he's inebriated, he needs to go to the hospital, possibly getting his stuff, uh, whatever, like, he needs to get, can you send EMS over? So they, they transferred me to EMS, and, you know, I, was, I told him the location, and they said, no problem, we're sending a, we're sending a bus over. So um, they go, so I go, and meanwhile, I'm like, you know, at this point, I'm between like five and ten minutes late for the synagogue, but if I go now, I might be able to catch the end of it. So I tell the guy, I'm like, listen, sit tight, they know you're here, I'm going to go, but they're going to come. And me, meanwhile, he's like, he grabs my pants, he's on the floor, right? he grabs my pants on the, in, by my ankles, and he's like, please don't leave me, I need, please stay, I'm begging you, and then he starts crying. I'm like, all right, you know, I have a grown man grabbing my leg, you know, crying, you know, all right, I'll stay with you. What can I, you know, fine, fine, I'll stay. I thought I'll stay with you. So meanwhile, he's like crying, you know, and he's got like, you know, when he cry and you're drunk, right? So there's everything coming out of every orifice, right? And he's like grabbing it and throwing it for it. And he just like keeps on making sure that I'm still there. And I'm like, buddy, I'm here. Don't worry about it. You don't have to grab me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm staying with you. So, <laughs> so I tell him. So I'm sitting over here with him, and I'm like, okay, now we're waiting for the bus. And what do we, you know, start doing some small talk. What am I supposed to do? My wife always makes fun of me that I could talk to a tree, because I talked to, like, I've once take, I took, I had to take a woman who was collecting charity in, from a certain uh, synagogue, and she asked me for a ride home, so I said, no problem. I think that's as much English as she knew. And she spoke a language, I don't know what language it was. It was, it was, and she did not speak a word of English. I did not speak a word of her language. We talked the entire ride home. I had no idea what she said. She for sure had no idea what I said, but we spoke. So I'm sitting over here with this guy. I'm like, all right, well, you know, let's see what's going on. What's his story? You know, as a grown man who's, you know, is crying on the floor and doesn't trust anybody. He probably has, you know, something going on. Maybe I could help him. So I go over to him and I'm like, you know, how's everything? He's like, well, you know, is everything okay? And he's like, and he, and he starts shaking his head. Not really. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I saw that he was emotionally in a, in a very difficult state. So I'm like, you know, are you, you know, like, you know, I was trying to think about like, well, okay, maybe he lost a, you know, did you lose a loved one maybe? And then he starts nodding his head and he starts crying. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, that explains it. I'm like, you know, was it a parent, you know? And he shakes his head. No, he's all the time crying. I'm like, a sibling, you know, he's shaking his head. No, a friend, a relative, you know, gotta help me out. So I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I ran out of people, you know, like, who did you lose? And he, he had to stop crying and he's like, my dog, you know, and then he started crying again. And I'm like, 
Ah, all right. I have, I have nothing. I didn't, I didn't even know what to say. I don't have to. I didn't even know what I have to. Uh, you know, what am I? What do I tell somebody who lost his dog? You know, I've never had to like pay a shiva call to somebody who lost a dog. So, so I'm like, um, you know, and I'm sitting over there and I'm like, wow. I'm like, this happened like today. And he's like, he's like, no, it's like a month ago. And I'm like, uh, you know, listen, buddy. Yeah, I'm like, I, I, I'm, I don't know, you know, you're crying about a dog that you lost a month ago. And I granted, you know, I, people get attached to their pets. And, and I said things I probably shouldn't have said. Example, the first thing I was like, so how old, how old, you know, I'm like, what, like, how did it happen? You know, like, what do you ask, you know, for this? So he started telling me, he's like, he just came home from work one day and the dog was just there dead. And I'm like, oh, that was a short story. I thought it would be longer. I'm like, all right. Uh, um, uh, so I'm like, my next question, you know, I'm like, all right. So, um, you know, how old was he? So he was like, you know, eight years old. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't know, it's dog years. You know, you got to convert. There's a conversion thing. I'm like, the, so I'm like, that's pretty old, right? He's like, no, it's like they live much longer. I'm like, oh, strike two. I'm like, two, oh, for two. And then, uh, and then he's like, and then I'm, I'm like blanking. I'm like, not doing anything. And then I said something. I regretted it immediately afterwards. I'm like, um, so did you think about getting a replacement? And he looked at me. I think this is the sober he's ever been in that whole conversation. And he's like, no. I was like, what are you? I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, I don't know. Okay, whatever. You know, and then we just like talked about, you know, about, uh, you know, this is the first time I had to actually go and console somebody for a lost pet. Which granted, people get attached to their pets, which, you know, it's an issue in itself. But, um, but, the, but, you know, it was a very, very difficult. And then I'm sitting there with him, you know, not sure what to say. And then it occurs to me, I'm like, this guy probably thinks that I'm crazy. Like, like why? He asked me, can you help me? And I refused to help him. I said, I can't drive you. I can't do anything for you. And I made him do everything. I'm like, this guy probably thinks that I'm crazy. So I went on and I started explaining to him. I'm like, by the way, I'm, I'm, you know, just so you know that why I couldn't go and drive you and bring you home. I really wanted to, but I couldn't because I'm a religious Orthodox Jew. And it's our holiday now. And part of our holiday, we're not allowed to have our cell phones. We're not allowed to drive our car. We're not allowed to do certain things. And, and I, you know, this is as much as I could do. And he was like, no, no. And he understood it. But it was very important for me to explain it to him that he doesn't think, oh, look at this Jew. All your help was his kind. That's very, I'll tell you, there's a funny story that it reminds me of. I was once with my friends to, I was once with my friends in a, in a, um, in a, uh, in a hotel when I was single. So many years ago. And we're sitting there in the hotel and we had a group of, a group of people in the next, in the next uh, hotel. And it was a hotel, it was like a motel, you know, like the porches on the out, in the second floor and you, you know. So we're sitting over there and they asked us, it was Shabbat. We stayed there over Shabbat and they asked, they asked us if it could help us, you know, the Shabbat was almost over. It was like sunset, it was almost over. And they said, can you, and they asked us, can you help us, you know, with something in the hotel? And they asked us something that we're not allowed to do on Shabbat. So, my friend, you know, walks to the ledge, he looks up at the sky, you know, and he looks around, and he's like, and he goes over to us, and he's like, I don't see any three stars yet, and we go to them, like, we can't help you, we'll help you soon, and we walk away. Now, in our mind, per- made perfect sense, three stars, Shabbat's not, uh, not out yet, you know, we can't, we can't help until Shabbat is out, but then, we get into our hotel room, and then he free- and then he stops for a second, nobody even thought it was crazy, and then he's like, they probably think that we're crazy. He's like, I just went, I looked at the sky, see that there was no stars, and I said, we can't help them yet, only when the three stars come out. And then he's like, they for sure think that we're vampires, that we can't do anything out of their rain. And then, you know, it's very important that sometimes, you know, when you go to people and you speak to them about, uh, you know, you know, if you can't help them with that, because you're religious or Orthodox Jew, it's important to explain to them why it is that you can't do it, and it's not something that you're just snopping them out for that particular reason. It's also an old aspect of Kiddush Hashem. That's the way we, we went off. So going back to the story of Adam, so, uh, but the story ended that the uh, ambulance came and took him and they, they brought him in. I don't know what happened to him. Hopefully he made a full recovery. Walk away. What? How good did it take to walk away after the ambulance? Yeah, I have that. Oh, how good? I don't know. I was looking at my watch. I'm like, I'm late. What? I, I mean, I was late. I missed it. So, um, so, what? 
<laughs> so no, no, yeah, listen, I thought that, because that that, that's a life and death situation. I know people that died from alcohol over, you know, from, from too much alcohol. So I, um, it's not something, you know, that it's something that I felt I was required to do. Not, you know, there's a, there's a person here that obviously nobody was helping, and this guy, you know, I, you know, he was definitely, you know, needed some serious help. So going back to the story of Adam, Adam, when he was going, when he was doing that, he was thinking two things. He was thinking, okay, I have two options in front of me right now. Either I listen to God, don't eat from the tree, granted, I'll pass the test, and I'll get the next roll. He says, but what happens if I eat from the tree, so I'll introduce evil into me, and then I'll overcome that evil, I'll make it even bigger, Kiddush Hashem. So he was like thinking like one step ahead. He's like, you know why God told me the easy thing, just don't eat from the tree? Because he wanted to give me an easy job. But if maybe if I make my job a little bit harder, and then I'll overcome it, I'll get even a bigger reward. I'll be even a greater Kiddush Hashem. I'll be even a, a, a better thing. So he switched it in his mind. Says Rav Dasser, how he explains it beautifully. He says that Adam, when he did the sin, he was doing it, you know, not thinking that it was, he was thinking that he was doing it in a way of a mitzvah. Because he's doing it to get a bigger Kiddush Hashem. That was the first sin. The first sin, the Satan already got him. The Satan already got him. How did he get him? He made him sin thinking that it was a good deed. He made him sin thinking that it was a mitzvah. Now, how did, now let's speak about Chava. How did Chava go? Chava was a different thing. This, this is not Rav Dasar, this I heard from a different rabbi. And he explains as follows. He said, I didn't find this inside, I only heard it. He explains as follows. This is beautifully. He says, you know when Chava did the sin, why did she, why did she sin? She saw, listen, there was, there was all the trees that they were able to eat except for one. So they, she said, listen, I can't eat from that tree. Why can't I eat from that tree? Because it's a very powerful tree. It's a tree, tree of knowledge. It's the eight sadaft overall, the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat from that. It's very powerful. She says, I understand that. But my kids are going to see that as a very powerful tree. What are my grandkids going to see? Like, oh, that tree has, like, powers. That's like, you know, you can't... And what are their grandkids? Just eventually, it's not going to take too long before people are going to start worshipping that tree. It's a crazy tree. It's a powerful tree. You can't touch it. You can't eat it. You can't do anything. Right? She said, rather, better that I eat from the tree now suffer the consequences just so my children should not never serve it as idol worship. So she was doing the same thing that Adam did. She was taking the, the, the sin, and who was doing it? The Satan. They would take the sin, made you sin, not only made you sin, think that you did the right thing. The first sin, already that already that's how, that's how they got you. This is why it says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing, and they're paving their way to hell. Right. So now... The, um, the, this is a very important rule, that if God says that it's no, it's no. Stop making excuses and figuring out ways that you're allowed to do it. So now we have to go and figure out, now, uh, this is something actually very important. There's a, there's a Pasuk in Mishle, in chapter 21, verse 2, that says, Kol ish yashar every, This is so true. This is, I, if I may explain it this way. It says, every, man's, every way is straight in, in a man's eyes, which means is, you and every person think that they're the normal ones. Everybody is in the normal one. Everybody to the right of them are the crazy fanatics. Everybody to the left of them, to lower them, are the sinners, the wicked people that are going to you know, suffer in hell. But you're just perfect. This is so true because everybody always thinks that they're perfect. Everybody more stronger than them is crazy. Everyone less than them is, 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 is a wicked. Now, you're always thinking that you're doing the right thing. But how do you know that you're really doing the right thing? There's only one way to know how to do that. Is the Torah. The Torah is the only way. You have the Torah, you have the, ra- the rabbis. There's something also very important. In Pashat Bahal, in Leviticus, it says like this, in chapter 25, verse 17. It says... And you're not allowed to mislead your fellow Jew. What does that mean? You're not allowed to mislead your fellow Jews. You're not allowed to go and, and convince them something that is that that is wrong to do. Don't mislead them. But it says the word s, and every time it says the word s, it's coming to include something. So, so ask the the, the chachamim, the, the the rabbis, ask what, what is it coming to include over here? It says, you know what it's coming to include over here? It's coming to include yourself. Don't mislead yourself. There are so many people that they live a certain life and they mislead themselves. They convince themselves that they're okay. They convince themselves that they're right just the way they are, and they're misleading themselves to the way that they're they're not supposed to they're, they're where they shouldn't be. It says that you if a person goes and decides he's going to cruise through life, 
And he's thinking he's going to be successful and he's going to beat the Yitzhak. There's no chance. So there's only one way to get rid of the Satan, to get rid of that, and that is Torah. You have a Torah, you have a rabbi, you ask questions, so you have somebody that, you, that you're speaking to. You, that's, no, you could overcome it. You could overcome it. Every, it's, always, it's always a constant struggle. And I'll explain to you like this. There's a story in, um, in Kiddushin, in the Gemara, in Kiddushin, chapter, chapter, uh, page 81, always. Uh, so, cha- Kiddushin, page 81. It says like this. It says, Rabbi Meir was, uh, was once, uh, you know, used to laugh at sinners, scoff at sinners. It says, because oh, they couldn't overcome their evil temptation. It says, why? And he used to laugh at them. And he said, you know, and then the Satan came over to him. And, but it didn't come over to him as Satan. It, tr- it transformed itself into a beautiful woman. Now, when the Satan transforms itself into a beautiful woman, it's not like, oh yeah, you know, she's really pretty. It, the Satan's good. It's going to be the most beautiful woman you have ever seen in your entire life, and you can't believe such a beauty exists. It was like overcome with unbelievable, un, un, unimaginable temptation. And he saw this. The Satan came and saw this. Rameer saw the, this, the Satan, which was just like a beautiful woman, which was, a, you know, cloak. So he, it was across the river. There was a bar going on the bottom, and there was a rope going on top. The rabbi started grabbing on it to try to cross over the river to get to the woman. Halfway through, the Satan revealed itself. That's not a woman. I always wondered how it is. You know, like, is he going to be like, you know, like, ta-da, I'm Satan, you know, like, not, not a woman at all. And, you know, like, oh, wait, you know, dude, what's going on? But, but he revealed. And you know what the Satan said? The Satan said, it says, they, you know why I had to reveal myself? It says, because they declared in heaven, be careful of Rameer and his Torah. For, and, and he says, and if not for that, I would have got you. I would have got you. And the same story happened to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva also, he used to laugh at sinners. And then the Satan came to him on top of a tree. And also like a beautiful woman. And he started climbing the tree. And halfway through the tree, the Satan reveals itself and says, you know, ta-da, Satan. And, he's, and, and he says, you know, had they not declared in heaven, be careful of Rabbi Akiva and his Torah, I would have got you. You would have been, you know, you would have been mine. So the questions that the rabbis ask, there's a very famous understanding. The greater you are, the greater the evil inclination is. Right? So the more that you work on yourself, the stronger the Yetzirah is. Because that's always going to be an evil playing field. Otherwise, it's not going to be a test. So the Yetzirah is always constantly growing, and you're always constantly growing. So he says over here, that doesn't make sense. He says, because these people were, because of their Torah, the Satan should have even got, even went stronger. And because of the Torah, the Satan should have got to them. Why does it say, because of the Torah, I didn't get you? It should have been the other way around. Because of the Torah, I should have tried so much harder to get you. So the Marasha answers, and it says beautifully. And he says, he says, there's a, the, the aspect of the Torah protects you. He says, you know why I couldn't get you? It's because all your Torah protected you. You had so much Torah that you created a shield around you that it protected you. And this is the power of the Torah. This is the power that has a power to protect you from all these sins. Now this comes to question. Woman. Are women required to learn Torah? Obligated to learn Torah? And the answer is no. They're not obligated like a man. A man is obligated to Yom Velayla, day and night, always learning Torah. Women have the obligation to learn Torah. They have the obligation to know the laws that they need to know. That, the, you know, that they need to know. They get volunteers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying, yeah, if they learn it, they get a mitzvah, of course. But I'm saying they don't, they're not required to as like a man. So the obvious question is, how does a woman get the, this, you know, it says, I create barati yitzahara, barati yitzahara, barati Torah tablin. I created an evil inclination, I created the Torah. How does a woman combat with the, with the, with the evil inclination? So there's a Gemara, and let's see if I can remember where this Gemara is, in Brachot, it's right here, okay, Brachot 17a, it says like this. It says that, Nashim Bemai Zachin. Women, with what do they gain merit from? So the answer, the rabbi's answer is because they send their sons and their husbands to learn Torah, and they wait for the husbands to come back. Now the obvious question that the rabbi is asking, be like, what do you mean? It says, that's, the, that's what they're gaining merit for? They, they're obligated on all negative commandments. They're obligated on all positive commandments that are not uh, positively time-bound. 
Since they have so many mitzvot that they need to do. Says why out of all of the things that they are considered that they're gaining merit, do we tell them, oh, you know what you're gaining merit for? For Because you're sending your, your sons and your husbands for to learn into Allah. Just the opposite. They have so many other things. And the answer is what we're talking about over here. It's how are they going to combat with the satan? How are they going to combat it? You know how they're going to combat it? Because they don't have the obligation to do it. But when they send their husband and say, hey, listen, honey, even though I want you to stay here to help you with the kids, I want you to go and learn tonight. I want you to go and learn tonight because I know it's important. She gets married from that. She gets protection from his Torah. His Torah gets, gains protection for, for her and the Torah that she sends for her kids gains protection for her. You know what? This is what the Mishnah says. You know what? They gain merit. They gain merit from sending their kids. Now, that was the introduction. Now let's get to the, the that. So now we understand a little bit of how the the satan works, right? The satan works like that. Now there's something very important. There's a, there's a very interesting pasuk in Bereshit that says over here. It says, adam. And God says, right in chapter one, verse twenty six, God said, "Let us make man." The Christians they use this as uh, you know the tr- Trinitarian Christians, the one that believe in the Trinity. They use this verse to prove that nasa is plural. God said. They believe in the Trinity, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, the whatever it is, uh, JC, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whatever, and, the, and, and God. So there's just three of them. So they use this, this verse to prove it from the Torah, because it says, let us make man, as a, as a, as a, as a plural. Even though the way, the, their answer is very, if you, by the way, this is how you know, the, the Christians, when they go and they use the Torah to do that, they, like 99% of the time, they misinterpret the Torah. And you can even ask them, the people that come to you, the missionaries that they try to convince you, you'll, you could go to them and be like, uh, so I'm sure, you know, they come and they try to convince you from the Torah. So you say, okay, so you speak Hebrew? And they're like, no. You know how to read the Torah? I'm like, no. So I'm like, what are you talking? He says, my kids can speak better Hebrew and know the Torah more than you and you're trying to convince me what it says in the Torah? And that's what, again and time and again and again, you look at all the things that they, they convince that, you know, they see Mary, with, there was a, a virgin that was giving birth in the Torah. It never said virgin. It said a young woman. Who said anything about a virgin? It, you know, they, and they change everything and they, because they just don't know how to read it. And they kind of, or maybe they do know and they did it on purpose. But regardless, they, they change everything. And, the, and the, this is what they use for using the, the, to prove the Trinity. And granted, the next, the next pasuk, right afterwards, just disproves them, because it says right afterwards, and God created, singular. So when Moses was writing down the Torah, how did Moses write the Torah? God dictated to him what to write. So Moses was writing down the Torah, and he says, oh, it's getting late, we're going to finish soon. So um, he, was said, he said, uh, he got to this part, and he wrote, let us make man, and it said, Naset, you know, and he wrote it down in the plural form. And Moses is like, right up, um, says, you know, maybe we should uh, switch this, you know. What is let us? You know, one God. What are we writing? Us. So God said, no, 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 write it, write it. Because let the people that want to err, let the people that want to fall, let them fall. Let the people that want to fall, which is an unbelievable insight that you learn from this. Now, I, this, there was once, a, this is an interesting story. There was once an old man who came to, uh, um, who came to uh, this, this synagogue. And sorry. And he came to the synagogue and he was, uh, and he was going over there and he was, uh, you know, obviously not religious. Completely not religious. He walks into the synagogue and he looks at the bookshelf. He looks like, he's, he, looks like he knows what he's doing. He grabs the, the, the prayer book, he opens it up, and the rabbi's watching him the whole time. And he's, he's going through the motions. He's doing everything right. He's doing the, you know, he's getting, he knows where to, what, what to, when to bow, when to stand, when to sit, what to say, and what not to say. He says, but he's, he's very obviously not looking religious. So the rabbi, you know, waits till after the prayer, and he goes to introduce himself. He knows, oh, hi, I'm the rabbi of the synagogue, I've never seen you before, nice of you to come. And um, the rabbi goes to him and says, listen, I noticed that you're very familiar with the prayers, but yet you're very obviously not religious. So he says, what's going on? Like, well, what happened? So he says, uh, listen, had you known what I went through, you wouldn't have also been, you know, religious. So he says, what did you go through? So he says, you know, he went through the Holocaust, this guy. And he says, when he was in the Holocaust, there was one guy that was able to sneak in a pair of tefillin. And he took this tefillin, and when people heard that he was doing the tefillin, 
so that he had a tefillin. So people started lining up and be like, can we use your tefillin? So he said, yeah, not a problem. You can use my tefillin, but you got to pay me. So they said, uh, we don't got money. What, what currency do we have? We, we have nothing to pay you. What are we supposed to pay you with? And he says, uh, listen, pay me with anything. You pay, you save a piece of food for me and you give it to me. You have an extra, you find a cigarette that the Nazi didn't finish smoking, you give that to me. Anything you could give me and it counts as payment and you can use it for the so, so, so people, listen, listen to the story. So people go and they say, uh, fine. And people start lining up. People, you know, when they were able to sneak in, they were able to, and they went and they paid him and they put on the tefillin quickly, said shema, take it off, and the next guy was up. And he said, I was one of those people. I gave up my food. I gave up, I found whatever I found. I, you know, I, I worked very hard not to, not to, you know, to always try to put on tefillin. And he says, one time I went there, that was on the line, I put on, I gave him the payment, I put on tefillin, and I step aside for the next person. The next person, you know, he goes, he says, okay, where's the payment? And the guy says, you know, he starts, he says, listen, he's, buddy, he says, I didn't, I don't have it. I, I really, I tried, I looked high and low all day. I couldn't find anything. So the guy said, listen, no, no payment, no tefillin. So no tefillin. So he says, so the guy says, he says, listen, I, you know, I'm begging you, you know, like, please let me put it on now and I'll, I'll give you extra tomorrow. And he says, no, 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 we don't do that. There's no, there's no credit over here. He says, you want, you have to pay me right now. So he says, yeah. So he goes over to him and he says, and he starts begging him. He says, he says, listen, he's like, I'm begging you. I never missed tefillin in my life. This, you know, and it's almost sunset. Please let me put it on really quickly. I'll, I'll do whatever I can that I can do it. And he says, no, if I start letting you, I'm going to have to start letting everybody else. Not, not doing. You want it? You gotta pay me. The guy gets on his knees and he starts begging him. I'm begging you, please. I've never missed Philip in a day. Please, I, whatever you want, I'll just, I, let me put on Philip. And the guy says, nothing doing. You're not doing anything. No. Philip Nazi. You know? He was, he was like, oh, you're not doing anything. And he pushed him away. And he says, this old man says, when I saw that, he says, when I saw what this guy did, I said, if this is what religion stands for, I don't want anything to do with it. And so since that day on, I didn't, uh, you know, threw everything away. So the go, the go, the go, listen to the story. So he goes over to the, so the rabbi goes over to him and he says, um, uh, you know you're a fool, right? And the guy's like taking it back. He's like, what do you mean you're a fool? And I'm like, you just told me hundreds of people lined up every day to give everything that they possibly own just to put on another day at Philly. And he's like, yeah. He says, so hundreds of people did right things, did the right thing. And he's like, yeah. And one person did the wrong thing. One person did something you shouldn't have done. And he's like, yeah. And he says, so you choose to look at the one bad thing that this person did rather than look at the 200 people that were willing to give up everything that they, that they want, that they, uh, that they, that they had in order to do this mitzvah. He says, you're didn't work. you're not looking for reasons to give up God. He's like, you are looking for an excuse. And yeah, granted, you took this as an excuse. And then this guy, you know, this guy started crying. He says, he says, you're right. He says, you know, I've been, that's why I'm here today. He says, I'm here today because of that. And the guy changed his life 180 degrees, became a religious, you know, um, full-fledged for where he was before. So it's so important that sometimes we give ourselves excuses. And this is, a, here's another short story. that I've One time there was a guy who was once religious and then became not religious. So he goes over to his, um, his rabbi. He used to be his rabbi for years. And he goes over to his rabbi and he says, Rabbi, how could there be a God if there was a Holocaust? The rabbi says, you know, it's an excellent question. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. And... The guy looks at him and he says, what do you mean you, you don't know? He says, I've been in your class for years. For years I sat in your class. I have never heard you once say, I don't know. You had an answer for everything. So how could this be? He said, come on, tell me. Why, why? Why does he say? I said, no, it's, it's actually a question. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. And the, the guy didn't give up. He says, no, no, no. The, the, you know, it's like, he's like, you always had an answer. Tell me, why Why is it that, the, the, you know, I'm sure you have an answer. Give it to me. And the rabbit tells him, says, what do you want me to tell you? He says, you want me to tell you? I'll give you a reason. Let's say I give you a reason for why there was a Holocaust. You know what? Then you're going to come to me. How come there was a little child that died? There was a three-year-old kid that died. And then afterwards, when I tell you that, 
you're going to tell me, how come there's a righteous couple that don't have any kids for 20 years? Meanwhile, there are sinners that have kids. And after I answer you that, you're going to say, how come there are people that are sitting in Israel learning Torah day and night, and they can't put food on their table for their kids? And it says, you're not looking for answers. You don't have questions. You have excuses. You want to rationalize that you're not religious, and you want to feel better about yourself. He says, I can't answer excuses. I can answer questions. When you have a question, you come to me, I'll answer it. But you have excuses. And it is so important. There are many times that we look at life and we say it as an excuse. And we go and we say, no, this is an excuse. And this is so important. If you ever speak to somebody about religion, I've spoken to atheists before. Plenty of atheists. You know what the, 90% of their, of their arguments, you know what the first argument is? About the age of the universe. And I'm like, really? That's what's keeping you up at night? The, I mean, I don't tell them how these this, but I'm saying, like, I'm like thinking, like, that's really what's bothering you? Like, if I would be able to prove to you the age of the universe, then you'll be religious? And the answer is no. It does, that's just an excuse that they're u- using it. They're using the excuse that science says it was a big bang, and science says that it has to be 14, 13, whatever it is, they're up to a billion years old, and it can't be. You know, even though there's answers, that there's plenty of answers from the Torah on there. But the, the point is, is when someone comes and asks you a question of religion, you have to look at them. And you have to say, are they really asking this question, or there's something that's lying underneath it that's going on? And that's very important. When you're able to read someone, you're able to answer them. It's so important in Kiruv. When you're, when you're dealing with Kiruv, there's some people that, it, it could be both. It could be something from spirituality. It could also be an emotional issue. That they come to you, and there's some people that come, and like, I get this all the time, that there are people that come and they want to speak to me. Right? Either on the phone, or after class, doesn't matter, wherever it is. Sometimes it's not even about speaking about anything and I could see it right away it's just about they need to speak to somebody they need to have a connection they need to be just and that's so important and that's important that they need to do it it doesn't matter what the reason is but you have to be able to read it and so you'll be able to respond appropriately this is very important because we, we live our we live our way our life as what what it is there's, there's many things there are many people that they, they rationalize they rationalize their, their, everything they do they rationalize it they say you know what they say I can't go learning because, ah, shalom bayit. I gotta stay with my wife and, you know, we gotta go and, you know, who knows what we gotta do together. Whatever it is that we gotta do. So people rationalize one thing for another. They say, you know what? They say, um, uh, they, they say, listen, let me go partying one night, one night, so the next day I'll be able to learn much better. And they rationalize everything they do. A woman will go and will say, you know what? You know, it's so hot. It's very unhealthy for me to dress modest right now. I can faint. Who knows how hot it is? Let me dress up modest just for, you know, I gotta live. You gotta, you gotta be careful. And they rationalize everything that they do wrong. And where does this rationalization come from? The Satan. The Satan is tricking you. It's telling you something that's doing wrong, but you're in your mind, you're rationalizing. Rationalizing is that the Satan tricking you and telling you that no, it's not a problem. Now, one, this is by the way, you know, people try to go on a diet. Right? What are the people going when the people go on the diet? They go on the diet, and all of a sudden they're sitting on the, on the, you know, in front of a nice, you know, delicious, scrumptious cake. And they're looking and they'll be like, I really shouldn't. I said, but you know what? I've been so good for so long. Let me treat myself out. And they go and they dig it in and they treat them. They rationalize before they do it. You know how many times I had, you know, you sit in front of the people and every bite is like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be taking another shot. I shouldn't be taking another shot. I shouldn't be taking another shot. But then they'd be like, okay, whatever. It's been a long week. And they rationalize reasons for them that it, that it, that it's good. Rationalization is the devil. It's the devil in disguise. It's coming and telling you it's okay when it's really, it's not. Now, this is, is, this is something that, you know, that I wanted to speak about is, you know, nowadays, Movies and TV, you know, even for religious people, it became like a normal thing. Like people that are religious, they don't find it as a problem when they watch TV and movies, and which is a big problem. Which is a bit, you know, they come to. Let me first of all, before we get to religion, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you something. Statistics. New York Times. Listen to the statistics. This is crazy. How many hours do Americans watch a day of TV? Average? Average? How many hours? Hours a day. Four, five. Yeah. They say five. I don't know how they got this number. Five hours and four minutes. I don't know where they got the four minutes. He comes out of school. Three o'clock. No, they're talking about adults throughout. The, uh, everybody. Yeah, yeah. So 
No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm talking about people that actually watch TV. It's not talking about TV. that watches TV. Yeah, they say on an average five hours and four minutes a day. So now listen to this calculation. I decided to be conservative with my calculation, and I said four hours. Right? I said four. Let's say four hours a day. Four hours a day. Yeah, you're watching TV shows, a movie, a movie, and a few TV shows. It's done already. Let's say four hours of them. So I don't know, whatever it is. So listen to this. Four hours times seven days. YouTube is also considered watching. So, so you know, four hours times seven days, right? Of seven days a week, that's 28 hours per week of watching movies. Times 50, or TV, whatever it is. Times 52 weeks is 1,456 hours per year. Now, if you take that and you divide it by, the, you, you divide it by how many days, right? It ter- let, put it this way. That is equivalent. If you would watch 12 hours every single day and then go to sleep for 12 hours, you would be watching it for, four, for three months straight. Four months. Sorry, four months straight of watching TV, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, is equal to how many hours that is per year. Which means is, that's one-third of the year. One-third of the year, these people are sitting and, and just doing nothing. What's wrong with watching TV? Oh, oh, okay, then we're, we're, getting, we're, we're one step behind. Well, let's, we'll, we'll get there. So, there is, so, look how much, by the way, and let's say, let's say you're going and you continue this with this aspect of your life, you know how many years in total you wasted? It, let's say you live to 70 years old and you're watching TV for 50 years. Just 50 years. That's 16 years wasted of 12 hours a day of watching TV. That's 16 years. When you're going to get up to heaven, God will be like, all right, so let's see, what did you do? 16 years, nothing. That's crazy. 16 years of adult years and your life completely gone. What are you going to... So, so let's speak about what's the problem with watching TV. problem with watching TV and movies, first of all, it's a waste of time. You're wasting your time. You're, every man has an obligation to learn Torah. Every man has obligations to learn Torah, and they're sitting over there, and they're watching movies, and they're watching a TV, they're watching movies, they're wasting their time. But let's speak about it even before that, the, the immoral things that people implant in your head. People don't even realize, I, and I've spoken to this before, I got one guy once told me that he's going to watch an R-rated movie. So I said, you know, you know if that, regardless of all the other issues, if it has sexual or any, anything problems with it, that's a, that's a very big problem. And he's like, no, 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 I, you know, I'm 22. So, so I'm like, you could be 122, what is the difference? It says there's no, and people get, even somebody said, you know, his son was going to watch a PG-13 movie in the theater. So I'm like, I'm like, you know, what, what are you doing? He's like, no, no, he's 15, it's fine. I'm like, no, you know, that doesn't, what do you, you know, it doesn't work that way. Whatever these people decide is okay, it decides for okay for everybody. Besides the fact that PG, that now PG-13 used to be what R used to be years ago. It keeps on going down and down and worse and worse and worse. So what are you going to, you know, that the kids are really able to watch these things? But, you know, people became that movies and TV shows are non-issues. It used to be, if you had a TV in your house, you used to hide it. Yeah, you know, put it behind the bookcase, you know, it would press a button and the shelves would slide and then you have a TV over there, you would hide it, you know. Nowadays... There's nothing to hide it. Hey, look at my flat, curved, 60-inch screen TV. 4K resolution. <laughs> whatever, I have to prepare. So, whatever it is. Uh, ultra, whatever it is. So, you, people go and they, they, they're not even... It's not, it's not an issue for them. And that's a very big problem that we're... That, this is... People... Why do people... How did this come to this? They rationalize it. Not a problem. What's a problem? What? I, I come home, I work, I gotta relax. You gotta relax, you sit back, you, you know, in the lazy couch, and you sit and you watch four hours, five hours, and four minutes of TV every night. That's not relaxing. That's snoozing your life away. Relaxing is a half hour. And I'm not saying, you know, that, 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 that it's allowed for a half hour. But I'm saying it's become the normal. And you know how it's become the normal? The same thing that we're talking about all night, rationalization. People rationalize, it's okay, everyone's doing it. What's the big problem? Well, there's, no, there's no issue in it. People, people, there, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's so many issues with, besides the fact that you have, first of all, there's, besides the fact that you're sitting over there, there's so much immodesty going on over there. You know, 
why, why a lot of men have issues you know, with their marriage? Because nonstop they're seeing models and they're seeing supermodels and they're seeing everything that's being put on TV in front of them and everything like that. And then they look at their wife and then they look at the TV and then they look at their wife again and they look at the TV. And what does every single man think? Man, I could have got her. It's like, look at her eating her popcorn. You know, I could have gotten this mom. You know, every man thinks he could get every woman. That's, that's how men think. You're walking down the street, there's a, you know, there's a woman walking on the side of the street. The woman could just be looking at something behind you and be like, you, you saw how she was checking me out? No, she wants me. That's it. That's it. You know, she, every man already thinks already that, 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 you know, that every woman's crazy over. Every man thinks they get every single woman. He sees a supermodel. It doesn't matter if he's eating Cheetos off his stomach and, you know, with his undershirt and his wife beater, you know, on there. He thinks he could get any, 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 any woman. So now the, the, the problem is, that, that's already just one problem. Besides the fact that you're wasting your time, besides the fact that you have the profanity, you're going over there, so already you're ruining your marriage. You're ruining marriage because you're looking at every, all, all the things that you're not allowed to look at. You're not supposed to look at. So, um, but again, again, there's a whole lecture in, in this in itself and the whole problem with the, with the immorality, with the wasting of the time, with the cursing, the profanity, with the violence. That you, you know, It becomes normal to do certain things because this is what people see on TV. So now... Uh, I didn't want to get that. I actually spoke about video games. Let's skip about video games and now. I'll tell you when video games is a big problem, though, because I spoke about video games once, and a lot of guys got upset at me. Well, what's wrong with video games? I think that's a... I agree with you. I think it's a big problem if you're 40 years old, and you're sitting there, you're playing a game with a headset while speaking to a Chinese kid in Hong Kong, and trash-mouthing him while this, chi- this guy, this Chinese kid's mother is making him a sandwich, and he's trash-mouthing a you know, 40-year-old guy you know, who's playing a video game uh, you know, Sunday afternoon while his wife is running around over there. I think that's a very big problem. People are like, oh, you need to relax. Uh, uh, whatever. Nonsense. You know, you don't relax for eight hours sitting over there shooting people that don't exist and zombies that are kapakalaka. Yeah, things that are going there. Uh, uh, <laughs> people rationalize. I need to relax. I even spoke, you know, I even spoke to the people that complained about it. Okay, I'm like, okay, let's say you need to relax. Let's say you need to play a game for a half hour. Okay, okay, fine. I'm like, by a raise of hands, how many people will play games, play games only for a half hour? They're like, listen, a half hour, you're middle of a level, you can't really stop, and you know, you're this, you're middle of a game, you, have, you know, probably an hour, two hours, and sometimes a three, four hours. I'm like, okay, so then that's the problem right there. It's like if you're sitting and you're playing for, for three, four hours, that's a problem. That is a very big problem, regardless of if, with, whether you're Jewish, Orthodox, or not. If you have a family, and hopefully you will, you should have a family, and you're sitting on a video game, playing it for four hours, you know, on a Sunday, when you can be spending time with your kids, I think that's a very serious problem. Hashem. <laughs> Let me tell you now something about this. Social media. By by the way, so what are we talking about the games? People rationalize. I need this. I need to relax. You don't relax for eight hours. You know, that's not relaxing. That's just wasting time. Relaxing is for a little bit, getting rejuvenated, you know, going maybe to run a little bit, playing a little ball, that's something else. But sitting for eight hours a day playing a video game is not called relaxing. It's called wasting your life. Now, let, let me, let's speak about social media. This is important. We're, we're nearing up to the end of it. We're going to finish it up soon. Social media. So, um, I don't remember where I saw this, but there's another statistics. How many times do people check their social media, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever other social media they have, a day? I'm not saying that they're staying on it. I mean, how many times do they, like, log off and log back on to go? <laughs> 17 times a day. That's it? I thought it was. Not, not that they're on it at one time. It means they'll log off and they'll come back another time during the... I thought that was a lot. It happens to be, they say that uh, in Thailand, Argentina, Malaysia, Mexico, and South Africa, they check upwards of 40 times a day. But I think also there are many people that check even more because people are addicted to it. I'll tell you like this. I was, um, you know, I was, I, you know, I, many times I'm on the train. So when you're on the train and it's rush hour, there's not a lot of leg room to say the least. Forget about it. There's not a lot of standing room. You're standing like sardines. And um, you go, you know, I don't remember where this was, but there's, there are people, I think it's in somewhere in Asia. Their job 
is is that they push people on the train. They're like the perfect. There's in China. There's professional like pushers. They push people on the train, right? Or maybe it's Japan. But so so they're going and 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 I've seen. I, I try as hardest to give people privacy. They're on the train and they're on their phones. You know, not good to look at anybody else. But there's sometimes when somebody's really tall and by my height, I could see just my face levels where they're playing with their phones. So sometimes I'm like stuck. There's only like one play, and I'm literally just there. And it happened many times. And I I see what they do. They open up their phone, and they'll just. They scroll this way, they scroll this way, and then they close it and put it back in the pocket. Then they open it up again. And by the way, the passcodes are ridiculous. I don't know who they think the Fort Knox over here. They're like seventeen thousand things that they're, they're, you know, that they're afraid that someone's gonna. And they go, God forbid, their girlfriend or their wife finds out what they have on their phone. You know, so they open up finally their phone. And what do they do again? Scroll, 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 scroll back and forth, doing absolutely nothing, not even checking anything. Didn't even go on any application. Didn't do anything. Close it and put it back in the stomach. In the, in the stomach. Put it back in your pocket. They did this like four or five times. I'm like, this person's addicted. And I thought this person was crazy. But many people do this all the time. They do it without even realizing. They unlock their phone. They scroll, they scroll, they scroll. They do nothing. They look at this. They look at that. They do absolutely nothing. They put it back in there. This is an addiction. It's not addiction. You, you know, <laughs> I, think, I think it's a serious... You know how many hours... You know, this is another... You know how many hours a day people use their on their phone? On average, on the whatever this... Uh, I remember where I got this... Uh, <laughs> so, it, when is a toy? Toy is good for a short period of time. When people spend... 4.7 hours a day on their phone, that's a big problem. Because they're not making phone calls. And they're not, you know, I'm not talking about answering emails or doing work-related stuff. I'm talking about nonsense stuff. You know, put it this way. I had somebody who told me that they da- downloaded uh, the game Candy, Candy, Cru- Candy, Candy Crush. They, they, and they said, you know what? But I deleted it. And then they finished it off seven times. People go, they deleted it seven times. They go, and what is, they spent hours playing a game. That that I, to be honest, it looks like it's a matching game. I, I don't know. I you know I've never I, I've you know I've seen people play with it. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's literally like you match up. Yeah, you match up. You match up like these this stuff. I'm like, this is what people and people spend hours a day on it. And people they they made over a billion dollars if I'm not mistaken on this. They were like crazy from nothing from people making lining up fruits, a kindergarten play game. I don't know. I, whatever. I, I don't. I can't. I don't play it, so I don't know that. The, obviously, there has to be more to it because I don't think humans are that dumb to to be sucked in with that. <laughs> yeah. So you have over here the unbelievable amount of time that people waste on this thing, and people think, okay, whatever. I'm just, and people don't realize that it's a problem. You're wasting your life away. They Put it this. Fun for four point seven hours a day is a problem. No you should be productive. Oh yeah, how much information they get already from it? Maybe on a ride somewhere. What? Maybe like train, bus. Listen, I know that it could be definitely used for good. Listen, there's you could download Tor anytime, for example, on your phone, and you should download Tor anytime app. It's unbelievable, and there's many good things that you could download on your phone. You could do good things on the phone, but you know, nine out of ten times, people are using their phone, um, especially you know people that are playing games. I don't know how much. You know how many times we touch our phones every day? Oh, that's every every touching me with a text man. That's crazy. You know what a kid said? You know what one kid said? One kid wrote to her father. It says, "I wish you would give me as much attention as you give your phone." That you know that how sad that is. I wish you would give me as much attention as you give your phone. Yeah, the father told the father because the father's always on the phone. You can't trust the kids like that either. No, the kid said, not for the phone, the kid says, I wish you would give me as much attention. Look at me as much as you look at your phone. Pretty sure he gets attention. He probably wants more. The kids want a lot of attention. <laughs> the kids need a lot of attention. <laughs> it's, uh, they require it. 
So, um, but here's CNN put out a, you know how many, how many, how many teenagers, you know teenagers, how many hours they use in front of social, of, of media, not everything, social media, TV, YouTube, computers, or nine hours a day. CNN came out saying nine hours a day. I didn't even know, like, how they able to put that, put that in. That's literally every time that they're not in school, they're probably on something. They're on their phone, they're watching this, they're doing their, they're on Facebook, on YouTube, on all this stuff. There are non, that, that's ridiculous. They're not. People played outside. That's smoke pot. <laughs> People, I think, smoke now more than back then. I think now it's became worse, but I may be wrong. There's another big problem. By the way, this is all rationalization. There's another big problem. People go on vacation, but they leave God at home. You know, people that are religious, you know, so they're a woman, okay, you know, but I'm going on vacation in the Caribbean, so, but God's not over here. I'm going to be over here. I'm going to relax over here. I go a little bit dressed and more immodestly. God is God everywhere. It doesn't matter where, where you are that God is. Where do they rationalize it? I'm just on vacation. Who's here? There's no Jews here. There's only not. Who says you don't want to walk in modest in front of non-Jews? And, and, and people take it, and they really take it to another level. How? All rationalization. And they come home, don't they? They come home with the long skirts, you know, that's what they got. They're going to cry in TV now. And they, they do great, great and amazing things. But they don't think they did anything wrong. And that is a problem. Why? Because they rationalize. Because they convince themselves that they don't need to. And I want to finish off with this story. I might have said this story before, but it's so important to learn. This is, this is a story that's, that fits in this uh, thing perfectly. There was once a, this has a true story that happened in, um, in Israel. There was, a, um, there was somebody, the way that he lived, he lived in a building, and the building was, was, it was on the corner, but it was very, very close to the sidewalk. And and it was a it was a four way crossroad. Stop and yeah, you remember this? So so they said uh, as I, I'm going to repeat it because it's very important for this idea. And there was a stop sign over there. And what happened was people used to you know always cut the stop sign. So the cops, what they decided to do to fill their quotas, they decided they're going to hide behind one of the buildings. You're not able to see it. And when people run the stop sign, they're going to go and pull them over. So so you heard? Yeah yeah. So I'm gonna I want to say the story, but this is important. I usually don't like repeating stories, but it's very important for this for this. Uh... Yeah, I didn't hear it. Why are you guys So he goes and he says um, and and. This guy's sitting over there, one of the people that reside in the building, and he says, what do I need this for? Why do I need all this time that people pull them over? What happens if someone gets pulled over by a cop? A few four-letter words, a few other curse words come out. I'm like, why do I need this in front of my house? Bad aura, bad, you know, come on. So he says what he decided to do every time that he saw a cop, he started putting a, a sign on the stop sign, cop around the bend, stop. So the cops were, we were seeing that the, you know, that the, the amount of tickets were going down, they started investigating it. And they start, they saw that someone put up a sign. So they ripped off the sign and the, you know, the, the tickets began flowing again. And then shortly after that, the sign came back on again. So they go and they start investigating and they look around and they see that, uh, you know, the sign is back up. So they start investigating who, who, who put up the sign. And they knock on some guy's door, right? And they, they found out actually some, I guess someone told them, said where it's coming from. And they take the sign and it says, you know, is this your sign? You know? In America, what would America do? Oh, I never saw that sign before. Hey, what does Israeli do? Yeah, so it's mine. What are you going to do about it? Right? What's the problem? So he says, uh, well, you know, what are you doing? You're interfering with the, you know, you're, not, you're interfering with the law. Stop, stop. Don't put up the sign over there. So he says, you know, okay, no problem. No problem. Yeah, no, no worries. We won't do it. So it stops for a few days. And the guy puts on the, puts on the, the sign right back on again. And the cops see again that there's no, so they go back and they see the sign again. Be like, this guy's got to be kidding me. They go back to the sign. He says, you put the sign back up again? Yes. You know, it's like, well, you're interfering with the law. Stop doing it or we're going to fine you. Okay, okay, no problem. No, no more sign, no more sign. And they take off the sign and uh, a week goes by, slaps the sign right back on again. Fine, the cops, they, they, they had enough of it. They go back over there, they say, and they give them, they give them a fine. And, you know, that stopped them for a while. He says, I don't want to go, I don't want to pay for this stuff. Okay, whatever. He sends them the fine and, you know, after a while, a week, two, three weeks go by and it still bothers him. Every time he sees a guy sitting by his window and he's like, you know, that's enough. And he, and he goes down again and he puts a sign back on again. And the cops, so again, it slowed down the ticket, so they went and investigated. 
they knew where they walked right up to there, and then they knocked on the door. They said, listen, buddy, he says, this is the last warning we're giving you. If you put up the sign again, we are going to arrest you. You're going to get arrested, and you're going to be brought in front of the judge. So he says, oh, yeah, you know, that, this part, this much he didn't want to be, you know, he wasn't interested in getting arrested. And that stopped him for a few, another few weeks. Until, you know, he sort of either forgot or didn't care. He put the sign back on again. And, oh, I'm sorry. No, he didn't put, he, he didn't put up the sign. He had a better idea. What he did, yeah, he goes, he stayed, he stayed in front of the, he stayed in front of the, um, in front of the, the stop sign for a few days and he stopped every car that went back by and he said, listen, when there's a cop over here, I can't put up the sign anymore. I'm going to be putting, look on top of my roof and you'll see a red flag. If there's a red flag, that means there's a stop, there's a cop on the, around the corner. And he said, you know, well, thank you very much, stranger. I appreciate your work. And they drove off. And when he felt that he had everybody that was driving around there knew about it, he went and he did it. He saw a cop. He put the the red flag on top of the on top of the of the roof, and you know the cops. You know, all obviously they noticed that the the amount of tickets decreased, so they start they went right back to the sign to look, and they saw there was no there was no sign over there. It's like that's odd. And they're like they were looking around. Maybe they got hit a sign somewhere else. They couldn't find anything. They went back to to to, to the squad car, and again they were waiting for the ticket. No, everyone was stopping. They were like they couldn't figure it out. So what they started doing is they they watched from the distance. What the people are looking at to see where the, and they see as people are driving, they're looking on top of the building and, and at the stop. So they look on top of the building and they see a big red flag waving. And they're like, ah, oh, we got him this time. So they go into the, they go into this guy's, uh, um, apartment. They knock him down and says, is that your red flag? And he says, yes. They don't ask him any questions. They handcuff him and they bring him in. They bring him in front of the judge and, uh, he tells, um, the judge says, uh, you know, you know, is that your red flag? So he says, yeah. He says, why are you interfering with the law? He says, we're just trying to keep their streets safe. And the guy says, what do you mean interfering with the law? He says, uh, he says, you know, I'm very suspicious on evil eye. And I know the color red is, a, you know, so I want my whole building to be protected from that. So the judge, you know, thinks about it. And he's like, you know, he goes to the, the officer, the police officer's um, lawyer. And he says, you know, he could put whatever color flag he wants on top of his building. He says, you can't. Can you prove that it's correlated to your, you know, and you couldn't prove it. And I'm like, listen, if you can't prove it, there's nothing that we can talk about it. And he knocks on this guy and says, dismissed. So the, the, one of the police lawyers goes over to him and he says, you know, what are you doing here? Why are you, why are you messing around with that thing? We're just trying to keep the streets safe. So he says, um, this, this neighbor, this, this person, he says, he says, I'm just fulfilling a well-known saying. He says, on the road, don't be smart, be right. I'm sorry, on the, on the road, don't be right, be smart. And everybody laughed. The judge laughed, he laughed, and, you know, but they say that that was the last day that he left. Because not a month goes by, and there was a guy that was speeding down that road, and he flew right past by the stop sign, and he hit a 35-year-old man. The man went flying in the air, went 15 feet in the air, crashed into a pole, and, you know, went to cardiac arrest. They called the ambulance, they tried to revive him, they couldn't revive him on the scene. They started, you know, uh, transporting him to the hospital, and, you know, he, he was pronounced dead already before he even arrived at the hospital. And in Israel, what they do is they post these uh, flyers everywhere, you know, where it says Baruch Dainamet, when people pass away, so that people know about the funeral. Inside this entire building was posted with flyers all over the place. And the reason that was posted inside the building is because the person that put the flag, that was his son. It was his son, and they went and they investigated. They investigated this guy that just, you know, was a murderer. I mean, he didn't do it on purpose, but they went and investigated him. He says, there was a stop sign. Why didn't you stop? And he said, without blinking an eye, he says, because, you know, I didn't see the flag there. And the guy was like, what? And the guy realized, he's like, oh, you know, I can't believe I just said that. I mean, and then he started explaining. He said, listen, when, I know there's a flag, when there's no flag there, there's no cops, I just drive straight. If there's a flag there, then I stop. And, you know, so, so this guy went and he, this guy went and he thinks that he was doing the right thing. I want to, I want to tell you the end of the story, how it, how it ended. It says that, uh, it, you know, for, for, he lived another 20 years, this man, and then he passed away. When he passed away, the one that put up the flags, he was buried right next to his son. So he had a fresh grave of him, and his son's with just a 20 year old grave, uh, you know, sitting right next to him. And his widow, 
went over by the funeral and said the following. And I want to, I want to, at, at the gravesite, she said the following. She says, and I want to read it for you because, you know, there's no way I can paraphrase this. She says, God in heaven knows that you meant well. She said that he knows how much you suffered. He knows that while you are buried today, your heart died 20 years ago. You ask him for forgiveness every night, but you never knew peace. Only death can bring you that. Now you're finally reunited with our precious son. God knows that you received your punishment in this world. And with that, she withdrew a huge red handkerchief, and she spread it over both the graves. This guy, when he was doing all this thing with the red handkerchief with the stop sign, he thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah, I'm protecting my building, I'm protecting people from preventing He thought he was doing it. He rationalized to himself that everything that he's doing is right. And this is the problem that we do to ourselves day in and day out. We go and we think we're okay. We rationalize day in and day out. What we have to realize is this is Satan. This is Satan. Put, making believe that he's a Talmud Chacham, he's a righteous person, and he's putting on that faith mask, and he's convincing you that you're doing something right. And that is a very, very big problem. And you know how to get rid of it? There's one thing that you got to do, is learn Torah. And Bezat Hashem, with the constant Torah, with the constant connection that you have to the rabbis, with the constant connection and growth that you'll have, you'll Hashem, be able to overcome the Satan, and we'll see the shechting of the Satan, b'mehera b'yamenu. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.